Look, the only thing old entrepreneurs have is more experience and they probably have some money, right? The capital is easy to get if you have a good idea. Experience is very valuable if you're an operating person. Well, you know, when you're you're first starting out, you don't know anything, which is a blessing and a curse. If you're trying to do something that no one's ever done before, the experience can be as much as a detriment as it can be an asset. I'm here with David McCourt, who's an amazing thinker, a very big thinker, loves proving people wrong. Um, And David, once again, I just want to say thank you for giving your time. Great to have you on the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast. I've got to know David very well in the last couple of years. He is one of the most curious men I've ever met. Whenever I spend time with him, he asks so many um, questions that gets you thinking in planes that you've never thought before. Um, And I'm really privileged and honored that he's come to share some time with us today at the Young Entrepreneurs Summit. David. How are you, Rob? I'm good, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. If I knew you were gonna go live, I might've shaved and put a collared shirt on. (laughs) No, you wouldn't have. Yeah, I know, I said it anyway, I said it anyway. David, can you just first of all, tell us what you're working on right now? Well, we're working on a couple of things. We're we're building the biggest public-private partnership, I think, in the in Europe for sure, and probably the biggest public-private partnership in telecom in the world. We're wiring up uh, every uh, man, woman, and child in Ireland with the fiber, so it's enough enough fiber to go around the world four times. So it'll be the largest wholesale open access network uh, of its type in the world. So we're working on that. We're working on an insure tech business to transform the, the insurance business. And we're working on um, two more TV shows. One is a reading show that's geared uh, to young kids, similar to Reading Rainbow, which is a, a show I did in America. It was the number watched children's show in America. And one is more of an adult uh, documentary type show, loosely based, uh, loosely based on my book, Total Rethink. Great. So we're here at the Young Entrepreneur Summit. This is perfect. So take yourself back to when you were about 18 years old, David, or when you first started your first business. With what you know now, what would you have advised that young, hungry, energetic entrepreneur? Well, you know, when you're, when you're first starting out, you don't know anything, which is a blessing and a curse. But I, I, w- I would say that you know, first of all, in South Boston, the word entrepreneur didn't exist. So when I started, the, you know, I mean, the, the word obviously existed, but no one, no one called themselves an entrepreneur. I mean, you know, you'd probably get put in a headlock or, or something. <laughs> told someone you're going to be an entrepreneur punched in the head. I mean, it just, it just wasn't in a in a blue collar neighborhood that that's not the way people spoke. Um, people were you know, trying to make a living, trying to, trying to, trying to do something to make money. And I, and I guess in, in reflection, I'd look back at it and I'd say that money and stuff is probably overrated. And I, I think now people are more focused on that than, you know, we were 30 or 40 years ago. People are really focused on making money and it's, it's overrated. You and I have had this conversation before. I think it's overrated. I think the excitement, the optimism, the curiosity, those should be your your drivers if you want to start a business. And then the money will come anyway. Money's not the hard hard part. Money's not the hard part. The the, the hard part is uh, having the balls to start. That's the hard part. So let's say there's a young entrepreneur here who's got the balls to start. What traits do you think um, are gonna make a young entrepreneur have a high chance of success? Curiosity, persistence, passion, 
um, a social scientist at heart, you, you really have to love, um, you, you really have to love people and you have to, if you have to have a, you have, you have to read and listen and think and, and talk to people and listen to their point of views. Um, you know, social scientist makes a good, a good investor and you have to be passionate and you have to not be afraid. And that not being afraid, I was um, talking earlier today to um, Glenn Jacobs, who used to be Kane in WWE. And he talked about um, embracing failure and failure as a part of success. But it's easy to say, isn't it? Don't be afraid and don't be afraid to fail. But especially when you're young and you probably care a bit what people think, is it a bit harder in reality? How do we get rid of that fear and that worry about what people will think about our failures? Well, you know, I'm saying don't be afraid to start. I'm not saying don't be afraid because I'm afraid all the time. I mean, the stuff I do is is stuff that other people haven't done before. So there's a huge um, sense that that something might go wrong. I mean, I wake up every every day worried that something might not work right. So that that fear is 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 part of the passion in wanting to wanting to do something right and want to do something that no one else has ever done before. So I don't think that overcoming you need to overcome that fear, but you're not eliminating that fear. It's it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be afraid of failure. It's okay not to want to fail. It's just not okay when you fail to stay defeated. You have to get back up and try again. And you want to try again because your plan B is going to be better than your plan A anyway. Everybody's plan B is better than their plan A. So, you, you, so, so I don't think this concept of don't being afraid is really the right, the right optic. I, I think the, the, the right optic is overcoming that fear, not eliminating it, overcoming it. It's okay to be afraid. In fact, you should be afraid. If, you're gonna, if, you, if you think you're going to glide through life and everything's going to be you know, roses, you, you're wrong. You should be afraid. A lot, of, a lot of bad stuff happens to good people. So you should be afraid. Mm. But overcome it, Rob, right? Right. So uh, you said earlier that money isn't really your main motivator. So what is it that motivates you to do things that no one has ever done before on a global scale, to put four times the um, fiber around the world? What does motivate you then if it's not money? You know, doing something that that... Um, everyone says can't be done. You know, um, I, I, I read an interview in this morning's paper of George Foreman. Remember, George Foreman was the heavyweight champion at 25, and then he was a heavyweight champion again, I think, at 45. And he was talking about how much smarter a boxer he was at 45. Um, and, he, and he talked about what motivated him was everybody said he couldn't do it, you know? So it when we, when we, this project you're talking about with all the fiber four times around the world, you know, we started with 12 people competing for that. And then it was eight, then it was six, you know, and the newspaper would mention all these bidders. They never mentioned us once until it got down to the last three. And then they said, well, I guess I better mention him because he's sort of been hanging in there a long time. And we won that $5 billion contract. $5 billion contract is a big contract. So, you know, Proven people, you know, being the youngest uh, with 11 people, you know, seven kids, two parents, two grandparents, being the youngest in the house, you always sort of felt like you had a little bit of a chip on your shoulder anyway. But that chip gets bigger when yeah. people say you can't do it, right? Yeah. So that actually motivates you, does it? You like <laughs> proving people wrong. I love it. Yeah. I love and it. So 
How do you deal with the critics along the way then? Is it just proving the people wrong or does sometimes the criticism hurt you or get to you? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't really bother me. I mean, it's and if it was personal, if someone said something personal, I suppose it would bother me. But if if the criticism doesn't really bother, I mean, it can't. If you're going to be in business, you got to be a, a big boy or a big girl about it. You can't. You can't let. <laughs> I mean, most people that are criticizing you, are either your competitors that are criticizing you for a business reason, or they're journalists whose job it is to have all the facts. And then opine on it. Whereas a business person, as, he, as, a, as an entrepreneur, your job is to not know the facts. You're looking into the future and you have to make decisions standing in the present where you don't have all the facts in the future. Journalists have all the facts and they're looking back. So, you know, if they want to criticize you, you know, from, from the front looking back, I mean, that's easy. We could all do that all day long. But try sitting in the present and trying to figure out the future. That's what a young entrepreneur or any entrepreneur has to do. But, you know, your audience is young entrepreneurs. That's what they have to do for a living is stand in the present and predict what's going to happen in the future and deploy human and financial capital based on stuff that they don't know. They think, but they don't know what's going to happen. And then when it happens differently, they have to regroup and change again and again and again. (laughs) So, David, I think, well, I know because I um, have a lot of people that come to me and say, oh, you know, I'm not that experienced yet. And they feel their youth is a disadvantage. But I have a feeling that there are advantages to being young when you're an entrepreneur. Would you agree that the youth has an advantage? And if so, what are they? Oh, a million percent. Of course they do. Look, the only thing old entrepreneurs have is they have some more experience and they probably have some money. Right. Well, the capital is easy to get if you have a good idea. So you don't have to worry about that. The experience is very valuable if you're an operating man or woman. Experience is very valuable if you're an operating person. But if you're trying to do something that no one's ever done before, the experience can be as much as a detriment as it can be an asset. But as a young person, you have youth, you have energy, you have curiosity, you have optimism, you have, you know, you have endless energy and there's no reason for you to, you know, you're not gonna, you know, you're probably not gonna lose your beach house because you don't have one yet. You're not gonna, you know, <laughs> lose your, you drive fancy cars, I, I don't, but you know, you're not gonna <laughs> lose your fancy car. You don't have one yet. So, you know, you 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 live in a small apartment. Maybe you have a roommate. Maybe you're on the couch of your girlfriend's, um, your, your girlfriend's sister's house or something. You know, you you have nothing, you have nothing to lose. So just just go for it. They have all the advantages. And the young people, look. They're going to be in charge on a going forward basis way more than the past. In the past, everything came from the top down. Policy came from the top down. Business rules and regulation came from the top down. Sort of enterprise and and politicians set the rules for civilized society from the top down. That's the way it's been for a couple hundred years. Now, a couple thousand years. Now, it's the bottom up. It's it's 100%. There's been a power shift to the bottom Young people are going to set all the rules for civilized society. So they have all the advantage in the world. And if you think of all the great entrepreneurs, you know, your earlier guest mentioned Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or Thomas Edison or uh, Madame Curie or Martin Luther King or Ben Franklin. These people have hugely entrepreneurial mindsets. And, you know, uh, Madame Curie, when she won, no, she won two Nobel Prizes, right? She had a kid in between and she was taking care of her 
her little babies while she was winning a couple of those. So these are people that have a very entrepreneurial mindset. Um, and they're all young. They're all young. So the, the, the youth has the whole, the whole game right now. Us old guys are just hanging on. <laughs> let's talk about schools. And um, actually, no, let's talk to parents because we've got quite a lot of parents watching. There's quite a lot of parents watching with their kids as well. Um, so what tips could you give if a parent wants to raise some entrepreneurial, creative, problem-solving kids? Well, first of all, let's just step back and, and, and define entrepreneurial for a minute. You know, my book, Total Rethink, I was trying to encourage, and that was written for people who didn't have the advantages I had. I had a hardworking father who saved up money so I could go to university. A lot of people can't, you know, you, you have either too many kids or, or, you know, maybe the father or mother lost their job or whatever, so they, they don't have the money. And the state's university is very, very expensive. So, so I wrote my book to try to benefit people that didn't have the same advantages I had. But my book is not about being an entrepreneur to make a lot of money. It's trying to train people to think more entrepreneurially. So the problem with the educational system today is the educational system basically hasn't changed. The way they teach people and what you teach is basically been flatlined for 50, 60 years, 70 years, but yet the skills we need look like this. So you have education that's looking like this, you have skills that are looking, looking like this, and then you have existing jobs that are looking like this. Existing jobs going like this, the new skills we need going like this, and education flat. So that's a tough construct for a new world. You know, when, when um, Hillary Clinton lost the, the presidential race, um, one of the areas that she lost was West Virginia, which was 100% she thought she had in the bag. And she lost it because she went into West Virginia, which is a coal mining area in America. And she said, we need to shut all the coal mines down. And that, and Trump went in and he said, you know, coal, coal, coal. Now, Trump didn't have a plan. That's a, that's a side issue. And the world's not going coal, coal, coal. See, he did, that was just, you know, that was just one of the many four-letter words, he, he, you know, he knows. But that, you know, the, world, the world's not going, going there. He was just saying that. But the point is, when she went in there and said, we need to shut all the mines down, what she should have said was, we need to figure, and then we're going to retrain people. How do you retrain a 50-year-old guy who's been in a mine for 30 years? I mean, that's not happening. What she should have said is, we need to create the jobs of the future. We need to develop the skills of the future. And after everyone's employed, then we'll close the coal mines. You can't take people's job away and take their dignity away and take their ability to care for their family away and then say, oh, we'll retrain you. Like, that, that doesn't work. So, you know, politicians have it, have it backwards. So you need to develop the skills and the jobs first then do things like shut down the coal mines. But anyway, you're asking about the parents. So what the parents need to do is just encourage the, the, the children to be curious and optimistic. And, and, and that's 90% of the battle. Just be curious. And like I said earlier, be a social scientist. You know, see what's going on in the world. Talk to as many people as you can. Think, read. You know, be more thoughtful. Don't be, you know, just following like-minded people on social media, which is one of the unfortunate things with social media is you get into a, a 
an echo chamber of like-minded people and you all, all go one direction together and you've lost the ability to listen to other people or other points of view, which is, which is unfortunate. Thank you, David. Uh, so are there money or business related things that aren't taught in school that you think should be taught in school? Yeah, of course. I mean, look, look, the school, the school, what one, one thing they should teach in school is sort of how to connect the dots. Like when, when, when I was young before social media, you had to learn how to connect the dots because the, what you couldn't Google the answer to everything. So, and you couldn't afford to read a thousand books. So you had to read, you'd read one book and then you'd see what, what in that book do you agree with? What do you disagree with? You go to the, the end, you'd see what the reference was and you'd go say, okay, this is the reference. So I'm going to find another book by, by that author based on this reference. And then you'd sort of connect the dots and you talk to people and you'd learn how to connect thoughts and pieces of information to come up with, you know, a construct that you believed in. Now people just Google the answer. But if you do that for a whole generation, you lose the ability to learn how to connect the dots. And another thing people should teach from, you know, in America, you, I'm in Dublin now, but in America, they call it um, kindergarten, you know, the very, from the very low levels of school, they need to teach people how to absorb information on the web, how to absorb journalism, how to absorb information. Because just because you read it, just because you saw it on the internet doesn't make it true. So you have to learn again, how to connect the dots and find out whether something's right or something's wrong. And I think learning how to connect the dots and learning how to absorb information and separate facts from fiction, or what we like to say nowadays, you know, fake news, is um, I think that's a skill that has to be worked into the curriculum early and, and often. And look, it's unfortunate that you know, when my grandfather came to America from Ireland, he was a janitor, but with a janitor's salary and his wife not working, so with one janitor's salary, one salary, he could own a home, he could uh, educate my mother, um, you know, send her to school, he could pay all his doctor bills, take care of health care. Now that, you know, politicians talk about how globalization has dropped the cost of everything. Well, it's dropped the cost of everything except the three things that are important, housing, education, and health care. So it's, it's tough. It's very, very uh, tough in a, a globalized world. But hopefully these young entrepreneurs in your summit are going to change all that and fix all these problems soon. Yeah, please. <laughs> so um, what's the best advice you can ever remember receiving? Oh, probably from my mother who said um, she was very fond of saying, look, no matter how bad your day is going, no matter how bad you're having it at this particular moment, just remember there are lots of people that have it worse. So you just have to pick yourself up and just keep on going forward and don't look back. And she was really fond of saying, look, doesn't matter how bad you have it off, someone has it worse and just keep on going forward. And she had that, you know, she lived to be almost 103. And, you know, um, you know, I remember when she was 101, she fell down and, and broke her pelvis and, you know, and, and uh, she, when, when she was in the hospital, I was like, oh, mom, I feel so bad. She goes, look, if, if this hadn't happened, I wouldn't have got to meet all these nice people. And she turned to the nurse and she goes, look at the smile on that beautiful girl. I never would have met her if I hadn't fallen down. You know, that's, the type, that's her attitude. So it's no doubt the best advice I ever got. And what's the worst advice you can ever remember receiving? 
I sold during the dot com boom. Um, I sold 20% of a company for $1.65 billion. And I said to Morgan Stanley, I said, let's sell the whole thing. Because we had $6 billion of debt. I said, let's just sell the whole thing. You'd have a couple billion left over after we paid the debt. It would be great, right? And I was outside Bravo Gianni's restaurant on East 63rd between 1st and 2nd. And right before we went in, I turned to this guy, Paul Tubman. I said, hey, Paul. I said, let's sell the whole thing. He wants to buy the whole thing. He goes, no, no, no. We'll sell 20%. We'll sell the rest of it later. And about nine months later, the dot-com bust happened and, you know, never had a chance to sell anymore. And, and that money went to pay off debt. So definitely the worst advice I ever got. Worst <laughs> advice ever. And I remind him often. I still, I, still, I talk to him, remind him often. Ouch. Um, is, there, is there one regret you have in your career, David? Not yet. I still have time. Not yet. No. <laughs> No, I mean, I've, I've, I've been blessed though. Um, I, I've been, I've been really, really uh, uh, blessed, Rob. And I've had a good go of it. I've met a lot of great people and um, you know, you, 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 you probably should spend more time with friends. You probably should spend more time with the people you love. You probably, you know, should be more, spend more time you know, out in nature, listening to the birds sing, you probably should be doing those things. But, you know, I, I do as much of that as I can as well. So I, I, don't, I don't really have, I don't have any regrets. Thank God. Is there something that for a long time you believed, but recently, or you changed your mind about? Something I believed, and now I have changed my mind. You know, I have, and a lot of people do, you know, you have this, you develop this skill as a, as a business person or as an entrepreneur that as your thinking evolves, you know, you grab ownership of it yourself. You know what I mean? So as, you know, you might think something that looks like this and then other people say, no, no, it's not like that. It's not like that. It's not like that. It's this way. It's this way, this way. And then one day you're like saying, oh, I got it. It's, it, it's this way, you know? And everybody's looking at you like, you got to be shitting me. Like I, like I was saying that for two months, right? I was saying that for two months, but you have an ability to sort of absorb those different points of view and, and, and jam it into your original thinking and sort of bend the reality back to, to something that resembles what you thought at the beginning. And, and, and it's not, it's not, you know, taking credit for other people's ideas. It's, it's more that you're sort of shaping your own thinking as you go and you're absorbing, um, you're absorbing information from everyone else and you're, and you're putting it in like little building blocks into your own thinking. But I suppose if you dissected it, look backwards, you'd say that, you know, you believe something totally different from what you, what you believed at the beginning. You know, in business, this happens all the time. We built the first competitive phone company in America and we thought for sure the, pro the, the big problem would be propensity to switch. You, know, you knock on someone's door and you say, we have this new product and, and it's 30% cheaper. And you know, it was people going to be like, oh, I've been with AT&T for 100 years. My father was with AT&T. My grandfather was with AT&T. My great-grandfather, I can't switch. And we thought that was going to be the big problem. That wasn't a problem at all. Everybody hated AT&T. Everybody wanted to switch. That wasn't the problem. The problem was getting the regulatory approval you know, to put the cables in the ground. So you think one thing's going to be the problem, then you start on your business venture and you find out it's something else. I'm sure you've seen that in, in the real estate business. By the way, Rob, how about this? I'm taking a, I took up guitar last year, a year ago, Christmas, right? I have a beautiful 
Martin guitar I'm looking at in my study. And my guitar teacher comes over and he says, hey, can I, um, so he's, you know, at least, I don't know how old he is, 55, whatever. And he said, look, I've had a music store my whole life and I, 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 I shut it down because of COVID. And I have to, you know, rethink my, my whole life. And he said, you know, will you give me a half hour of your time to help me think my business? Out? I said, sure, I will. And he said, well, I went to London and I went to this progressive real estate course with this guy, Rob Moore. And I took this <laughs> course. So I want to go in the real estate business. So he's a guy from Royal Island, a mile from my house in the middle of nowhere. And anyway, he took your course and you're going to help him become a rich entrepreneur in real estate. Right. Well, it's nice to know that we're making an impact, David. Thank you for telling me that. That's great. Yeah, it was great. It was great fun. I said, I know that guy, Rob Moore. <laughs> right. Final question, David. Is there something that you believe that most other people you know or most of the planet don't believe? Most people don't believe. Yeah, probably that um, most people, because right back to the first thing I said, most people think that stuff is really important and stuff, you know, and, and they like to spend the whole life collecting stuff. You, you know what I mean? And, you know, that, that stuff, um, you know, it, 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 you worry about losing it. You worry about someone taking it. You know, I saw a guy, I used to be a construction foreman and I was, I was doing a, um, a job and I was young and um, in construction, if the equipment, you know, breaks down during the day, you try to repair it during lunch or after work. So you don't, it, you, you know, if, if it's, it, it's a big digger, right? It's big wheels on it. It can still dig if it has a flat tire, it just can't move very well. So usually what you do is you organize uh, these trucks that come and they take these huge wheels that are seven feet high and they take them off and they repair them anyway. So it's 10 o'clock in the morning and I drive up and everybody's leaning on their shovel. And I'm like, you know, what's going on? And they're like, well, this guy, you got a flat and I had to call the repair guy out. I said, look, why didn't you call after work? He said, I tried. The guy said he was busy after work. And I said, you know, that's your job to figure out how to get that slot, you know? And while I'm saying this to, I was a supervisor to the foreman, the guy that's trying to change the tire is swinging the ax to try to get the ax between the rim and the tire. Anyway, he's swinging it, swinging it, swinging it, he's swinging away. So I drive away and I come back like 10 minutes later, see how they're doing. And the guy that was swinging the ax had had a heart attack and he's laying in the mud and someone driving down the road had seen it had stopped to give him CPR. And while they're giving him CPR, his wallet, you know, those uh, wallets that are connected by a chain, Rob, that, you know, those, that a lot of blue collar workers use is a big wallet. It sort of comes out of his pocket while they're giving him CPR because they're, they're, they're pushing on him and he's moving in the mud and he's in the ground and it opens up and it's so perfectly organized. It is, you know, all these pictures on one side and the credit cards on the other. It's like, it's like something that like two hours earlier, he, he, you know, before he put in his pocket, he made sure it was organized, you know? And the guy that's giving him CPR's foot is pushing on it and pushing the, the credit cards and the photographs sort of into the mud by accident, you know, with his back foot as he's pushing on his chest. And it, it had just that moment, I was, I don't know, 22 years old, 23 years old. And that moment, I like had this thing about how this guy, 120 minutes earlier, everything in his wallet was the most important thing in his life. And now it's the least important thing in his life like that. Right. And that was a gazillion years ago. And, you know, even though it was 50 years ago, you know, 40 years ago, I think about it all the time. So the stuff you think is important just isn't that important. It, it just, it just isn't.
Mm. And what a great way to end. So, David, just before you go, um, firstly, I want to thank you so much. I love talking to you. So thank you for everything that you do. And, and hopefully some, and hopefully, someone will buy, will, will buy this or, or I'll send them a free one or something because I think it will it will help people. It will help them think. It might not help make a ton of money, but it'll help them leave, live a more interesting life. If they want to live an ordinary life, don't read it. If they want to live an extraordinary life, they should read it, in my opinion. So before I met David, I listened to Total Rethink. I thought it was a fantastic book. So it's called Total Rethink by David McCourt. Could you just show us it again, David, so we can see what it looks like? Ben, if you could put it in the comments, that'd be great. So Total Rethink by David McCourt. And this is the old version, by the way, because I don't have the new version. This is not the one you want. You want to buy the Wiley version, which looks a little different. This was the first version. Um, if you buy it, it'll end up being used. The second version has a different top, but I can't find it. I don't know where it is. And, and um, is there anything else you're working on that you want to talk about anywhere or anywhere you're on social media we can connect? Well, they can, they can always get me at, at DC McCord on social media and Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn or something. But um, at DC McCord on social media, they can get me. And, um, you know, I hope they get the book and then I hope they reach out to me and I'll respond to them. If they reach out on, on Instagram I'll, and, and they read the book, I'll, I'll, I'll be glad to engage with them. It's been a pleasure, David. Thank you for everything. My pleasure. Thank you. And congratulations on doing all this work. Thank you. Really appreciate it, David. And remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.